my, my main thought, my main idea today is that in order to be truly productive, we must make God's presence a priority in our lives. In A Practical Guide to Prayer, author Dorothy Haskins shares a story about a famous concert violinist who was asked the key to mastering her instrument. The woman answered by simply saying, planned neglect. And that kind of caught me off guard when I read this. Planned neglect? This, I always thought neglect was a bad thing. I mean, when you neglect something, you ignore it. But here's what she said. She continued, there were many things that used to demand my time. When I went to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted, and did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret of my success. I think you guys probably already know where I'm going with this today. Uh, planned neglect. She wasn't neglecting everything else and not doing it ever. She was simply prioritizing her violin practice over those things and not doing those things until the first thing had been completely finished. Uh, and that reminds me, I don't have this verse up on the, uh, on the slides this morning, but Exodus chapter 33, verse 11. And I'm preaching from the Amplified Version of the Bible this morning. It says, and so the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Pretty awesome, right? When Moses returned to the camp, his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. This is very important. He would not depart from, even after Moses had conversation, face-to-face conversation with the Lord Almighty. Eventually, Moses was done and left the tent and went back to the people and did the many things that he had to do as the leader of the Israelites. It says that Joshua, his assistant, would not leave the tent of meeting. He would not depart. He stayed behind in the tent of meeting. And if you look at the life of Moses, being his right-hand man, his assistant, his sidekick, if you would, as Joshua was, I'm sure Joshua had many responsibilities. He had a lot of things to do. He had a lot to help with. But he planned neglect. He planned to be in God's presence and not depart until he received from the Lord, until he got his fill of God's presence. And then everything, everything else could wait until he was done being with God. I've heard it said before, if it's a priority, priority, you'll make a way. If it's not a priority, you'll make an excuse. Have you guys ever heard something along those lines before? It's like, you can know people's intentions by what they prioritize. We prioritize what we desire, what our hearts treasure. You know, we can say one thing, but our, our actions will speak for themselves. What we prioritize speaks for itself. But oftentimes we can stray off track with our priorities. And this morning we're going to take a look at someone in the Bible who needed some lessons in priority management. Yeah, because they say time management, right? It's like, no, you can't, you, what, you, what you're talking about, you can't control time. Time goes whether you like it or not. It's, it's constantly going by. What we need is priority management. And we need to work with the time that we're given. And so in our text this morning is the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, while they were on their way, Jesus entered a village called Bethany, and a woman named Emma welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary, who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was continually listening to his teaching. But Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. And she approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern to you that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Tell her to help me and do her part. But the Lord replied to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. 
But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, that which is to her advantage, which will not be taken away from her. Such a good passage. There's so much in here. It, it's, it speaks to me all the time because we get busy. And, and one of the things about life, life is busy. And this, is, this happens to everybody. We get kind of carried away with the things in life that we're doing and what's going on in our world, in our lives, in our families, in our homes. I have three points today on the presence of God. The first thing is that his presence is greater than our performance. His presence is greater than our performance. Martha was performing. In her mind, this had to have been the meal to end all meals. Like, this was a pretty important meal. Uh, it had to have been incredible, life-changing, right? Based on how she was prioritizing this meal and the stuff she was doing, it was like, okay, this is, the, this is like the most important thing here. Uh, could it have been possible, maybe? I was just reading this passage, and I was thinking, could it have been possible, maybe, for maybe everyone to have waited until Jesus was done teaching and then after he was done teaching, everybody pull together and make a meal. And I was thinking about that, and I was like, it might not have been culturally the way that it, it should have been done, but how many of you guys know that when you read the Gospels, Jesus did a lot of things that wasn't culturally appropriate. Like, you know, going to, um, like, the parties of the, of the people that didn't know God and, and hanging out with sinners and, and bad people. Jesus went against the culture. And, and so, in this instance... Um, they could have maybe changed it up a bit. Like, hey, everybody, let's make our meal after Jesus is done because we want to we put what Jesus is doing here first. Like, this is the most important thing. So could have uh, maybe prioritized that a little differently. Mary prioritized the presence and the teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, while Martha prioritized the work of hosting and preparing a meal. So how often do we invite Jesus into our lives, into our hearts, into our homes, and, and we end up getting caught up preparing a meal for him or hosting him or busying ourselves with making sure Jesus is having a nice stay in our, in our lives instead of listening, sitting at his feet and listening to him and spending time with him. And planned neglect would say, I've got a hundred things to do in my house, but I'm going to sit here at Jesus' feet and all of those other things can wait. And realizing that Jesus is the priority, he always was and he always will be. How often do we want to meet with God and please him on our own terms, in our own way, and in our own strength? How often do we minister to others and try to do good things for the kingdom of heaven? And we want to see the kingdom of heaven advance, and we want to see people's lives changed, but we get caught into a performance mindset of, okay, I'm doing this for God, and I'm, and I'm trying to do what's right, instead of doing it with God or allowing God to speak to us and speak through us. And then we wonder why we don't see the results that we want in our families, in our communities, in our, in our lives. We don't see the results even though we're trying, we're pushing, and because we're doing it in our own strength. And we're, we're not allowing God's presence to be in it. Because what ends up happening when we're not spending time in God's presence and God's word and we're not receiving from him and being filled up continuously with him, we end up ministering to people and we're giving them ourselves. How many of you guys know that uh, ourselves is not, it's not a good substitute for God, for the presence of the living God. So when we minister from a place of emptiness and not being in God's presence, we're giving ourselves to people in our own strength. And that's not going to change anything. That's not going to bring transformation. That's not going to have the power that God's presence does. So performance does not bring transformation. God's presence is greater than our performance. Notice how Jesus did not praise Martha for welcoming him into her home or for cooking a meal or for hosting and doing the different things. Jesus didn't praise her for that. 
no doubt he loved her, you know, he loved her and he appreciated her and, and was appreciating what she was doing. But all Jesus says about her performance is, you are worried and bothered and anxious. That, and, and, and that must, that might, that would have been a shock to me if I was doing stuff for Jesus and he said, and it's like, oh, Jesus, here it comes. Jesus is going to say something cool to me about, oh, good job. Yay, you, or, or whatever. And Jesus goes, you are worried and bothered and anxious. It's like, what? It would be shocking. And he go, but what happens is he goes straight to the root problem of Martha's heart. He goes straight to the issue, to the root issue of her performance and her misplaced priorities. He addresses things that she most likely didn't even realize about herself. It was quite a teaching moment for her as Jesus gives her exactly what she needs in that moment. That eye-opening revelation, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. He was getting her off of all of her, everything that she was in, getting focused back on, here's the main thing. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. So we need to prioritize his presence over our performance, over our works and our good deeds and the things that we have to do uh, or the things that, even the things that we want to do to please God has to come from a place of being in his presence and being with him and spending time with him. Otherwise, we're just doing things for God instead of doing things with God. So number two is his presence is greater than our distractions. If you look at verses 40 and 41 again, it says Martha was very busy and distracted with all of her serving responsibilities. In verse 41, Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious about so many things. Martha was distracted. I mean, can you imagine? I, I'm sure we've all been in that point when there's like 16 things to do and we're trying to do all of them at once and we've got like a time crunch and we're like, we have 10 minutes to get 16 things done. And we're like, oh, we're in the kitchen or we're doing things and we're cleaning and we're making sure everything's good and we're straightening the picture frames and, and we're, we're having like people helping and everything's just busy, 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 busy. And Jesus was telling Martha, none of that matters. Come over here and listen and listen to my teaching and sit here in my presence. I don't care that the meal's not being cooked. I don't care that the picture frames are crooked on the wall. I don't care about that. That's not important. And getting caught up in all these superficial things. Martha wanted to get these things done at the expense of taking advantage of an amazing opportunity. Think about this opportunity that she was given. God was literally in her home. And instead of being with him and listening and receiving from him, she was trying to do things for him and missing it. She was missing the opportunity. Her misplaced priorities caused her to incorrectly assess what Mary's part was in this as well. She says, tell her, Mary, to help me and do her part. Her part wasn't to be in the kitchen. Her part was to spend time with Jesus. That should have been Martha's part as well. So she couldn't see that, no, no, this is, Mary's doing what she should. This is the right thing in this moment. This is the right move. You're the one that's not doing the right thing in this moment. And so her, her distractions, her distracted mind and her misplaced priorities caused her to incorrectly assess the situation and be deceived into thinking, Mary's not doing her part. I'm the one doing right here. She's not, she's not doing what's right. When it was, it was actually flip-flopped. Jesus wanted to address this with Martha because he knew it was very important. After all, he was the one who mentioned just two chapters earlier in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, that the distractions and the cares of this life are the thorns that choked out the young plant in the parable of the sower. It says there in Luke 8, 14, the seed which fell among the thorns 
These are the ones who have heard, but as they go on their way, they are suffocated with the anxieties and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. See, when we're caught up in the distractions and anxieties of this life, and caught up in so many of the day-to-day things that we forget completely about what God has called us to do and how he's called us to advance his kingdom and spend time with him, it suffocates us. And we, and we find out before long that we don't even realize that we're spiritually dead and we have been spiritually dead and we're not bringing any fruit to maturity. Until we, fi- until we realize that, we're not going to be effective and useful for the kingdom when we're distracted on the cares of this world. We have to have the kingdom mindset, eternity mindset. I have to do this pretty often because I'll get so caught up. It's so worried about things or so upset about just the dumbest things in life. And, and I'll, I'll get all frazzled. And then I'll just take a minute and the Holy Spirit will be like, 500,000 years from now, is this going to matter? And I'm like, nope, not going to matter one bit. And he's like, get your mind back focused on what's going to matter 500,000 years from now. And of course, what is the one thing? What is like the one thing is God's presence. And the next thing right under that is people. People are going to matter. And that's, that's our priority, is seeking the lost, uh, reaching people, making disciples. That's going to matter for all eternity. And so we need to prioritize God's presence so that we can prioritize reaching others. Because the enemy will love to throw all kinds of distractions our way, the cares and worries of this life, and he'll just heap it on us until all we can see is what we got to do tomorrow and the next week and our five-year goal or vision for what we want to do and all this stuff. And, and we'll, we'll get burdened down with all of these things and forget hey, my next door neighbor probably doesn't know Jesus. And so it's like being able to focus back in and drop the distractions. And I think a lot of times we need to relearn productivity. What does productivity mean? I looked it up in the dictionary because I thought I had a good handle on productivity. I'm like, yeah, productivity, you know, it's get things done, like doing stuff and being productive, right? It's not simply getting things done. We can accomplish things all day long, every day of our lives and produce nothing for the kingdom of heaven. The first definition in the dictionary for productivity, I was looking at the based on the Oxford one, okay, so it's like legit. Uh, the first definition that I saw for, for productivity is the state or quality of producing something, especially crops. It actually mentions especially crops, which I thought was very interesting, uh, and it's no coincidence. How many parables did Jesus talk about related to farmers and seeds and crops and bearing fruit and people's lives were like seeds? Results from people being saved was like crops and a harvest. And and every time you see seeds and crops in the Bible as a parable, it's referring to people and the results of reaching people. So the state or quality of producing something, especially crops, aren't we called to bear fruit in our lives? Doesn't the Bible say that you will know genuine believers and false prophets by their fruit? Productivity is the state or quality of producing something. That something is results, producing results in your life. You're like, well, what does fruit mean? What, what results are we called to produce? We're called to produce changed lives. When you give an encouraging word to somebody that needed to hear it or a prophetic word from the Lord to somebody and that it, it sparked them to, to launch into their destiny or do what God called them to do, that's good fruit. That's a good result that you just, that you yielded in your life. Uh, when, you, when you serve somebody or you love somebody and you, and you show them God's love in a practical way, like buying their groceries or filling up their gas tank, which now would speak now more than ever, that is good fruit. And that will yield results of changed lives, of people's hearts being softened to the Holy Spirit. And when you stand before God in heaven, that'll be good fruit. That, and God will say, that's, that's good fruit. Well done, good and faithful servant. You produced results. You didn't just talk about your faith. 
You didn't just live your faith for yourself. You actually went out and you reached others and you helped others with it and you impacted other people's lives that helped them get closer to me. That's good fruit. So are we distracted too much to produce anything for the kingdom? Are we producing nothing or are we producing bad fruit, fruit that's not no good with the cares of this world or are we focused on producing good fruit for the kingdom of heaven? I would presume to aim for productivity that produces good fruit and good crops and not bad fruit or no fruit because there is a kind of productivity that will yield nothing and I don't want that kind of productivity in my life. It's called being a busybody. It's like, imagine like you're the hamster running on the wheel and the wheel's just spinning but you, and you feel busy and you feel productive and you feel like you're getting things done and you're tired but you're just spinning on a, on a hamster wheel. I don't want to live my life like that. And when we get distracted with the cares of this world, we're the hamster on the wheel. And we're, and we're not actually producing. It says, Luke 8, 14, we bring no fruit to maturity when we live that way. We're suffocated with the anxieties and riches and pleasures of this life. We need to prioritize his presence over our distractions. And third, his presence is greater than our fear. Look back at verse 40. It says, Martha was very busy and distracted. She approached him and said, Lord, is it of no concern that my sister has left me to do the serving all alone? And he says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered and anxious. Worry is rooted in fear. Jesus had a lot to say about worry in the Gospels, about how we are not to worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough troubles of its own. Worry uh, inhibits our productivity and usefulness to the kingdom because here's what worry does. It puts our focus on the problems instead of on the solution. It paralyzes us with what could be or what will be so that we can't do what we should in the now or that we do what we shouldn't do. And so it, it paralyzes us and causes us, us to not do anything or to do the wrong thing because we're so worried about what's going to happen in, in the future, what would or what could. Corey Ten Boom said of worry, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So when we worry, we're not accomplishing anything except draining today of its strength draining today of what we could be doing effectively. And things go south pretty quickly in life when in our worry, we don't wait on God and his timing and we decide to do things in our own strength or we decide to, to do what we feel is right. Things go south very quickly when we don't submit to his timing. The Bible, how many of you guys know that we're referred to as sheep a lot in the Bible? People are like sheep. I don't know a whole lot about sheep. I know about goats. I've seen goats and stuff, but I haven't seen a lot of sheep. But what I read about sheep throughout the Bible is that they wander off pretty often, and they go to some pretty stupid places. And they put themselves in incredible danger. They make themselves incredibly vulnerable. Uh, I want to read a passage that shows how badly worry can sabotage you in your life. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 13, starting in verse 8. It says, Now Saul waited seven days, according to the appointed time which Samuel had set. But Samuel had not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering away from Saul. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and some peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, which he was forbidden to do. As soon as he finished the burnt offering, right? Isn't that always how it works? As soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, Samuel finally came. Almost like it was a test. Saul went out to meet and to welcome him. But Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Since I saw that the people were scattering away from me, and that you did not come within the appointed time, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not asked for the Lord's favor by making supplication to him, so I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. 
you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For if you had obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. So King Saul was sabotaged by worry. He acted out of worry. Verse 12, therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. Will come, not have come. They didn't come. The Philistines were still camped and gathering at Michmash. Saul could have still waited. He would have had time. He could have waited for Samuel. He did not trust that God would pull through for his people. He didn't trust God, so he acted in his own strength because he got worried. And he acted out of that worry instead of trusting that God would take care of him. And so, yeah, that's like in our lives, do we trust that God is going to take care of us and that he's going to pull through and that he'll make a way for his will to happen? If God has spoken to you about his will and has called you to something or has, has shared what you need to do, trust that he will pull through for you to be able to do it and that he'll take care of you as you obey and as you do it. No matter how terrifying the situation looks, the situation cannot go against God's will. God's will is stronger than that. God's presence is greater than our fear. So we need to prioritize his presence. His presence is greater than our performance. His presence is greater than our distractions. And his presence is greater than our fears. So let us strive to be people who love him and who love to be in his presence. If we seek out and cherish our time with him above everything else and honor him when he shows up, he will do amazing things both in us and through us. He will make us world changers if we learn how to honor his presence when he shows up that we drop everything and we seek that time with him and we seek to receive from him because that is the most important thing in our lives. And I understand that there's situations where, you know, like my wife is a really good example of this because I was thinking about when I was forming my message, I'm like, well, what about my wife? She's, we got two little toddlers and they demand a lot of attention and a lot of time. They're, they're a pretty big priority. And it was like, and, she, and I was, I mentioned this to my wife last night and my wife, cause I was going through my message notes with her and my wife was like, no, there's still, there's still, uh, there's still methods. She's like, no, we, that you can work around it. She's like, you can plan to, to, for your kids to, you know, go into the room or have somebody watch them. There's always something like she was like, like you said, if it's a priority, you'll make a way. If it's not a priority, you'll make an excuse. It's like, well, Judah's so much work. He's constantly, no, it's like, you'll make a way when you prioritize God's presence. Uh, and so I just, I understand that situations are tough in life and that uh, some things demand a lot of attention, but God's presence should be the main thing because here's the thing. When you make God's presence a priority and you put, put off everything else to spend time with God and to be in his presence and to receive from him, everything that you do from that moment on comes from a place of overflow of being with God in his presence. So everything that you do after that point will be 10 times more effective and productive because you're doing it with God's strength and not your own. And so let's learn to push away some things to spend time in God's presence and then let's put God's presence above the, all the worries and the ur urgencies and the things like that. Uh, so as I close out, I'd like to give an opportunity real quick for, for those that have anybody that's here today that hasn't experienced the life-changing presence of God. Maybe this message I've been preaching, you're like, I've never even felt what God's presence feels like. I don't know what that means. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity for that. And through this process, we call the ABCs of salvation because salvation should be as easy as ABC. So admit is the first one. We admit that we've sinned and that we need Jesus to rescue us and to bring us salvation. That we can't please God in our own strength. We have to have faith in Jesus to be able to please God. Romans 3.23 says that everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we admit, God, I've sinned. 
I've sinned against you. I need your help. I need you to come and save me and rescue me. I need you to be my savior. Forgive my sins. The second thing is we believe. We believe that he is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is. You believe that in your heart and you come to terms with that. And then C is confess. We confess that he is Lord, that God raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So we admit, we believe, and we confess today. And so I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And if you haven't accepted Christ into your life, I want you to pray this with me. Uh, and you could pray in your own words. It doesn't have to be a scripted, like, this is the way you need to pray. Just tell God how much you need him. Ask for his forgiveness for your sins and ask him to come into your life and be Lord of your life and believe that everything that he has said is true in his word. So, Father God, we just we come before you today. God, and I pray that if there's anyone here that, that um, doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to their hearts right now. Holy Spirit, that you would, you would speak to them, you would challenge them. God, that they would feel that presence that we've been talking about this morning. Lord, that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins, that they would invite you into their lives, that you would be their Lord and Savior. God, we love you so much, and I pray that we would prioritize your presence over everything else. God, when, when we're tempted to uh, get distracted and, and put undue attention and energy into something that's not as high of a priority, that, Lord, we would learn how to, how to plan neglect, that we would that we would neglect everything else until we've had our time with you, that we've had our time in your presence. Lord, give us wisdom on how to be able to effectively prioritize our time and our day and our priorities. God, we just need you so much, and I pray that your will, your presence would become a priority in our lives, that we would desire that above all else, Lord, because we know that we won't prioritize what we don't desire. And so, God, I pray that you would set our hearts on fire for you, God, that you would be who we desire most. We love you, Father. We praise you and we worship you. We thank you for this time that we've had today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.